last book in the New Testament, so it's quite easy to find in that way. And just because I like little handouts, there's one of these nearby, probably in, in the seat in front of you, or you might have got one when you came in, if that helps for scribbling notes on. Um, but let me, let me just let you know, if you don't know it, some of, some of us may know this letter well, or parts of it well, but if you don't, this is, this is just to help us uh, kind of a step up into it. It is, it is one of the shortest letters of the New Testament, 25 verses. Um, uh, this little book, here, here's something that maybe gets it to move a little bit from Jude the Obscure to Hey Jude. Do you like that? Do you like what I did there? That was good. I spent ages on that. Hardly anything on any time on anything else. Who is he? Um, the letter will tell us, uh, Jude will tell us as we get into it, and it's on the handout. He's a brother of James and a servant of Jesus Christ. And nothing really too significant there, except if you imagine, imagine uh, talking to somebody after church, and you ask their name, and they say, I'm Matthew. And you say, oh, I'm Matthew who? And they say, I'm Matthew Sheeran. And it flashes something in your mind, and you sort of say, hang on a second, you're not related to Ed, are you? And this person says, yeah, he's my brother. Jude tells us about his brother, James. Uh, there are two kind of prominent ones in the New Testament. James, who is one of the, the 12 apostles, he was killed uh, by Herod in Acts chapter 12. And then there's James, who was the Jerusalem church leader, and he was the half-brother of Jesus. Jude's probably this James's brother, which also makes him, in human terms, the half-brother of Jesus. And it begs the question slightly, why wouldn't you mention that at the beginning of the letter, if that's who you are? You would feel it would give you a little bit more clout, wouldn't it? I'm Jude, half-brother of Jesus. He says the servant of Jesus. Have a think. Let that bounce around your head. Why would, he, why would he start that way? You can think about it. Another thing to, to notice as we, as we read through it is just some of the style of his writing. The way he puts this little short letter together. It's packed with all sorts of things. We'll, we'll notice as we go through it his use of the Old Testament. Uh, he really seems to know his Old Testament. He will refer to six Old Testament stories. Short letter, six Old Testament stories in verses 5 to 7 and then in 11 to 13. There will be the Exodus, an angelic rebellion, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Cain and Abel, Balaam from the book of Numbers, and then Korah's rebellion, all in a shorthand way. And you get, even from just noticing that, you, you understand something of what he's saying. He thinks the Old Testament is important for contemporary Christians. The Old Testament, all those stories, really important for us. He thought it was the case for his readers. He also makes use of, of triplets. He does things in, in threes at times. He, when he wants to emphasize certain things, he didn't have Microsoft Word. He couldn't do italics, underlining, bold, uh, as we might do. In Jude's days, writers wanting to add emphasis would often use uh, little triplets, little groups of three. So instead of... I love you, underlined, exclamation mark, bold, italics, uh, you, you might do. Uh, they'd write, I love you, times three. Uh, they'd write it out like that. So as we read through it, see if you can spot the way Jude does that, has little groups of threes at times. 
And then also, notice the way he, he does metaphors, if you like. By verse 12, we'll notice him using some colorful pictures, metaphors. He engages our imagination. If you were to say, I, I went to a concert and I saw Ed Sheeran playing some songs, fine, we get it, it's a concert, somebody's playing songs. But if you tell me, armed with just a guitar and his voice, Sheeran had the crowd eating out of his hand. I mean, you're doing something else there, aren't you? You're capturing my imagination. I mean, not literally. You don't think he was literally with the crowd eating out of his hand like he had some breakfast cereal there or something. But you know what's been communicated? I begin to feel it. God designs his words to do that. It's designed to hook your emotions. There are times when we need more than bare facts. We need to begin to, to feel things. Jude will do that for us. And then look, why is Jude writing? You, you can take this away and look at some of these verses and ponder them as well. But let, let me just as we get into it. Uh, Jude at the beginning tells us about two different letters. The one he wanted to write about the salvation we share and the one he felt he had to write. If you've got it there in front of you, verse 3, he says it like this. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. He thinks the faith's under threat. We'll, we'll think about that in a few minutes. The word contend is a strong word and it means fight. It's got, it's got a real strong sense to it. And so just before we get into reading this, it's worth noting this. As we read this, you might find the strong words uncomfortable. He really is quite a strong letter. But remember, these are strong words from a concerned friend. He's writing to friends. Some Christians, and some of us, the way we're wired up and temperamentally, we're really good at spotting what's wrong. In fact, they love doing that. The thing is, Jude would say to us, if you're only interested in spotting error and you don't care for people, you are ungodly. Don't be like that. These are strong words from a concerned friend. That's how to read this letter. There are other Christians, <clears throat> and you're more warm-hearted. You're always wanting to include people, make everything kind of okay. You hate people feeling uncomfortable. Thing is, Jude would say, if your warm-heartedness is never concerned about error, you are ungodly. Don't be like that. These are strong words from a concerned friend. Don't mishear them. Anyway, that's just a bit of a way in. Let me lead us in a short prayer and then Francis is going to come and read the whole letter for us. Good for us to, to have our hearts warmed by God's word as we listen to it read. Let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for all the parts of your word, all the things that are uh, tucked in here. And thank you for this letter right near the end, just before this big book of Revelation. You've put this book here for us, this letter from a concerned friend. And here we are in Cambridge, many, many years after it was written, and it is still relevant for us. So please, as it's read, and then as we look at it together, please would you help us to hear what you're saying and draw us close to your son. We ask it in his name. 
Amen. Francis, thank you. Do come and read for us. Reading from Jude, page 1,231. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all of this, I want to remind you that the Lord at once at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal life. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken about, have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy, mixed with fear. 
hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you, Francis. There's lots in there, isn't there? There's lots to get your imagination going. Uh, A dispute between the Archangel Michael and the devil. Enoch's prophecy, what is that all about? We're not going to get to those this week. We're just in verses 1 to 4 this evening. So, uh, sad news for you, easier for me, but we'll come back to them. We're going to concentrate on verses 1 to 4. Keep it open in front of you, though. And and let me say, I think as I remember, his name was Mark. And we were in year 7 at secondary school. And on the school bus, on the way home, uh, on the way back from swimming, he said, I'm going to fight you after school. It was a bit of a shock to me because I'd just been swimming and that's really all I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking about fighting at all. I wasn't sure why. So I said, no, you're not. And with the kind of logic you find really in a 12-year-old Glaswegian, he said, yes, I am. Growing up in certain parts of Glasgow, for me, there were, there were certain fights you couldn't walk away from. I, it was just going to happen. And look, that's a, a bit of a tenuous segue in. Jude says something similar is true for Christians. There are certain fights If you're a Christian, you you can't really walk away from, but we want to see the kind of fight this is. I mentioned verse 3, that word contend that's used, we'll come back to that. It is a strong word. But if you're beginning to think, this is all very aggressive sounding, you just come over to verse 22 towards the end of the letter and see the kind of attitude Jude has got with this fight. Do you see how he's going to end as he comes towards the end? Be merciful to those who doubt. You see the kind of fight this is. This is, this is a fight that's intended to be merciful. You've got to keep reading this letter the right way. But let's see the, the kind of fight it is. And, and here's the first thing to think about. Jude says this is a fight for the faith. You see that in verse 3? He, he writes it like this. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And when Jude talks about the faith here, he's meaning the message that we believe rather than the fact that as Christians we believe it. So you got that. It's not so much my personal faith in Jesus. He means means by this, look, the, the body of teaching we can look at objectively and say, yes, if you believe in and are trusting this Jesus, you're a Christian. That's what he means here by the faith. Now from the early church onwards, there's always been battles to hold on to the true message of Jesus. There's always been battles about it. And it usually comes in one of two broad ways. You you can think of it like this. It's either kind of the gospel plus something or the gospel minus something. You, you can think about it those ways if you've not heard that before. Have, have the, the gospel, and then we add something onto it. It might be 
a new view of the Spirit or an experience of the Spirit that you've got to have in order to be a proper Christian. You believe in Jesus, but you've got to have this other experience as well. Or, or maybe there's a new teaching that's come, a kind of new prophet or a new teacher. You, you, they'll give you more stuff to add on. That's the gospel plus something. Or, or there's the gospel minus something. The, the gospel means we're free. So certain things don't matter anymore. No need for holiness. And sex outside marriage is, is okay. It, it's the gospel message and then you begin to take things away from it. You don't really need to believe this part. You don't really need to respond in this kind of way. The, the gospel plus or the gospel minus something else. The people Jude's writing to, if, if it's one of those two categories, and it, it usually straddles both, but it's more towards the second. They're saying there's certain things you don't need to do. But Jude says, look, there's some things, as he begins the letter, you need to know about the gospel, about this faith that you've got. And he says this, look, in this fight for for the faith, you need to know this about the gospel. Its content is complete. Do you hear what he says? The faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. What can be known about God, it is made known in Jesus. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because if Jesus doesn't really make, Jesus, uh, make God known to us, well, who else could? He's the one who is God himself. What can be known about God is made known in Jesus. He fully reveals God's character and his plan of salvation. There is no new information needed. That's what Jude's getting at. The faith has been once for all entrusted to the saints. And that means it is sufficient and relevant for all time. We're not going to hit an unforeseen problem in the future that we've not got information about that we get through Jesus and the gospel. We're not going to hit some new situation for which God will have to give us new information, uh, new revelation. Uh, I've, not, I've not been on very many of them. I once went on one of those, you know, those all-inclusive holidays where, where everything's included. You get to the hotel and everything. I found it deeply uncomfortable because you, you go up and there'd be a, a whole range of food out and I'd say, well, do I need to do I need to pay for any of this? And they say, no, it's all included. And the next day, there'd be some drinks out, and i say, oh, do I need to pay for this? And they say, no, sir, it's, it's all included. But you get the idea, everything is here. There's nothing more. Can you imagine if somebody tried to say to you, oh, if you want this bit, you need some extra stuff. You need to buy this extra ticket for it. That'd be a scam merchant, wouldn't they? No, everything is being included. The faith is once for all. Its contents complete. If you come to know the Lord Jesus in the way that it's laid out in the gospel message we have in the New Testament, believing it, you have full access to God the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. It's all for you. You get to know God this way through this gospel message. We're given all we need for godly living 
and human flourishing. There will always be people saying, look, if the church wants to speak relevantly, its morality and values need bringing up to date. That's, that's not true. If you're getting to know Jesus and the good news about him is you read the Bible, your love for him will be seen in your trust and obedience to him. And that's what you need. And it's what the world needs. When it comes to the message of the gospel, Jude says its content is complete. We don't add anything to it or take anything away from it. And here's the next thing he says, just from that verse. He's saying, look, this... This gospel message, it is a gift entrusted. When, when Jude says once for all entrusted to God's holy people, it's kind of a technical phrase, that word entrusted that he used. And it's used throughout the New Testament linked with the teaching of the apostles that's handed on. It's entrusted. The author of the gospel is God. You can think about it this way. Here's a, here's a little diagram, if you just pop up the next slide. The crown at the top, there, there's God. The author of the gospel is God. And right here's the gospel message, and it's made known to the apostles. They were the people entrusted to go out and proclaim the message and validate what was written down. It is, is handed on to his people through the apostles. And it's come to us that way, you and me. It's not just directly whatever we think about God and our experience of God. No, the, the gospel message that God has made known in the Lord Jesus has been entrusted to the apostles. And they've communicated it. So it's, it's, it's an entrusted one. It's a privilege to have the gospel entrusted to us. We're not to add to it. It were not to take away from it. Its authorship is closed now. God has passed it on. We're not to be careless with it. Even the history of our country recognizes that. I think Lee Gatiss was preaching a little while ago and he mentioned this at the coronation of our late Queen Elizabeth. She was given a Bible and had these words spoken to her as she as the Bible was presented to her, were the, I think it was, it might have been the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. It's either, it was either him or the Archbishop that said these words, receive this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. It's easy to forget how privileged we are. As we sit here tonight, uh, it's one of my prayers of thanks before the service. You know, Francis and other people come up to read God's word to us. I don't know if you think about it this way. We're not just getting information in a busy week that is distracted with, you know, where you can be distracted with all sorts of things to come to a service and to have someone stand at the front. You don't need to do anything. You can just sit there for a few moments and have someone read the lively oracles of God to you to hear the words of Almighty God spoken to you. Yes, of course you can read it for yourself. We can do that. That is a joy to be able to do that. But just on occasions to have someone else read it to you. Remember a friend of mine, Samuel, shared a house with two other guys and he came home from work one day and he said to his friend, Phil, Phil, Will you just explain the gospel to me? 
And Phil said, what are you talking about, Sam? You, you've been a Christian for years. You know it. And he said, I know, but it's just been a, a tough day and a tough week or so. And I would just like to hear it from somebody else, for someone else to speak these words to me. Um, and so Phil sat and explained the gospel to him again. It's true that, isn't it? Of course we know things in our heads. Maybe you've been a Christian for years and you know it, but to have someone read it to us, speak it to us, it's a privilege. Um, um, we can forget how privileged we are to be able to sit and listen. And it is in part because godly people took great care with it. Are we going to do the same? Will you? Will I be godly in this way? Jude says to us, did you know at times you need to fight to make sure the gospel is handed on? This is a fight you can't walk away from because it's just too important. You and I have been given a responsibility. That's the first thing. It's a, it's a fight for the faith. And here's the second thing. It's, it's a fight against certain individuals. That, that's what, what Jude says, isn't it, in, in this verse. It's a, it's a fight for the faith, but it's against certain individuals. Jude doesn't name them, but he says where we'll find them. And it's a bit of a shock. Do you, do you see what he says? Where is that? Is that verse 3? Verse 4. Verse 4. Just have a look at it. He puts it like this. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. You get that? These people are not out there. Jude says they're in here. Jude's saying not, not every threat to the church will come from outside. Some will come from people who seem to be on the inside. Leading Bible studies. Standing at the front of churches. That's what Jude's saying. It's deeply uncomfortable. They'll look like, well, I guess... I guess they'll look like me. That's what they'll look like. Just ordinary people. And you won't spot them just by looking. It's hard to say about someone who seems to be a leader in the church, I, I think what you're saying is wrong. It's really hard to say that, isn't it? Because it, there's a right sense of we want to trust our leaders. There's a right sense we submit to their teaching. But, but Jude says at times you do still have to watch out. In the Bible, church leaders are sometimes called shepherds. Some of the people Jude's talking about pass themselves off as shepherds. But we'll come to this in a, in a little while, next week or the week after. But see what he says about them, verse 12. Just look ahead. Do you see how he describes them, verse 12? They are shepherds who feed only themselves. See, watch out. Watch out for anyone who, who sets themselves up as a shepherd and don't seem to be really that concerned about the sheep. Don't care for them. Don't look after them. Don't want to see them nourished. I'll come back to verse 4. What, what do these, these false shepherds do? Jude says, They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. If you've been a Christian for any length of time or if you're finding out about it and you've been coming along, you will have begun to pick up. At the heart of the Christian message is this idea of grace. 
We've lived our lives rejecting God, acting as if we're not accountable to him. We've taken from God in all sorts of ways and we've offered no thank yous and not, and not been sorry for our wrongs. But the Bible says, look, we are accountable to God. This is still his world and that means trouble. If we've abused the life God's given, then eventually there will come a day when he will remove that privilege from us. And what we'll be left with is eternal death. And the Bible's not joking when it talks about hell. It's serious. But God's done something. God's own son, Jesus Christ, came and he lived the life that we couldn't live so that he could die the death that we deserve. And he explains it this way, doesn't he? Mark's gospel uh, that we're going through on, on Sunday mornings. Jesus said he'd come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, paying the price. A story I heard, I might have shared it uh, with you once before, but I, I heard the story, and again, it was one of those stories that just captured my imagination of, of a supermarket in America that apparently used to give out vouchers at the till every day. And some of the vouchers would say a dollar off your shopping. Some would say $5 off your shopping. Some would say $10 off your shopping. And one ticket every day would say your whole shopping for free. Imagine if you get that ticket. And the story goes, there was a young mum in the queue. She didn't have much money. And her trolley was filled up with <clears throat> all, the, all the cheapest things for her um, family. Hoping for the ticket. And in front of her was a chap with a, a basket with three things in it ready meal for one, a bottle of beer and some mouthwash. You know, you know the kind, you've seen them. You've seen them at the, the supermarket. You look at them, you think, oh, bless. And he pulled out the tickets and it said, your whole shopping for free for those three items. And the young mum just behind him was deflated. And then apparently he turned to her and said, darling, our luck is in. She'd never seen him before in her life. And she was overwhelmed, I guess, you could say by the grace of the man sharing with her what she didn't deserve, what she hadn't earned in any way. And it's a silly story, but if you feel the goodness of that in any way, in a much bigger way, in a much more glorious way. The Lord Jesus, he is the only one who deserves the ticket to life. But through his death on the cross, he's made, a, he's made a way at extreme cost to himself, extreme pain to share, to share himself all that he has with you and when the Bible talks about grace, it, you understand it, it, as you begin to get your head around that, it's not really talking about a thing. Grace isn't, it's not like it's a substance that's poured out to you. It's a way of talking about Jesus. The grace is him. Him giving himself for you to set you free from sin and all its terrible consequences. If you're a Christian, God set you free in Jesus. What sins are paid for? Uh, your past sins. 
the ones that still come up from time to time in your head and you still remember them, there are some, aren't they? You know the kind of things that you've done in the past. There's many you've forgotten, but there's some that from time to time, they, they still come up and you still regret it deeply and you feel just that kind of anguish inside about that thing you've done. It's paid for. The Lord Jesus has paid for that fully. You'll never need to pay for it. There's things in the present that you've done maybe even today or this week. They are paid for. And there's things you know that you've not yet done, but you know you will do. They're covered by this gracious Lord. Christian, is there a sin you struggle with at the moment? It just makes you feel miserable. It keeps coming back. It is paid for. The Lord Jesus on that cross has paid for it. You are free from the penalty of that sin. And his promise is one day you'll be free from the experience of it as well. Do you get this? God has committed to getting you to a day when all the problems in this life because of sin will be history. They won't trouble you anymore if you remember them again on that day. It will not be in a way that robs you of joy. It will only be in a way that leads you to praise the Savior for what he's done for you. Here's if you want to think about grace in this way, here's what it's getting at. Grace, and we think about the Lord Jesus, grace sets people free to enjoy living for the God who loves them. That's what he's done. And when this Jesus says, look, follow me, will you trust my words? Will you do what I say? Don't you want to respond yes? Yes, whatever you say, I want to do it. You've been so kind. You've paid for my sin. Of course I want to follow you. And if you've got that in mind, then you look again what these people are doing. Jude says, they pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. <clears throat> they'll talk about grace. They'll talk about freedom. But it's a slippery word for them. With them, grace becomes, look, grace sets immoral people free so they can continue to be immoral. So they can just continue to live their own way. God doesn't mean that's a sin. Remember, God is love, so, so he loves you. Don't worry about all those other things you've done wrong, being greedy, being a gossip, holding grudges. It won't matter in the end. It's all right. Now, how could you think that, Jude says? How could you look at Jesus Christ and the anguish he endured on the cross and think sin didn't matter to God? Sometimes people get confused about grace. They think, look, I thought grace sets you free, but, but now you're saying we've got to do stuff. Like, which is it? Are we free or not? But that, that's wrong-headed, isn't it? Christian freedom is never freedom to do whatever you want. It's the glorious freedom to begin living the way that God intends you to be. That's what it is. Some as well start to think, well, look, surely if grace is grace, if you start telling people they're free because of the Lord Jesus, doesn't that have the potential to encourage me to sin? No, that's the wrong way around. 
Grace should always make us rejoice with a kind of trembling, shouldn't it? Because we see what forgiveness costs, but then we think, look what he's done for us. Look how he loves us. And look what else these people do in verse four. This is what Jude says. They deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. You you, you see in the end, it's not Jesus they're living for, it's themselves. That's why Jude can say they are ungodly people. They don't really know God at all. So if you're a Christian, can I say that the question Jude wants to put before is, is Jesus, is he your sovereign and Lord? That's how Jude describes him. Here's how you tell. Jude in this letter is going to remind us to to listen to God's word, Old Testament and New Testament, the apostles' teaching. Remember this message where the content is complete and it's been entrusted to. He's going to encourage us to listen to it. Are you doing that? Or when you disagree with the Bible, do you end up kicking against it? Now, I know we all still sin. I know that. But at some point, when you know you've sinned and you've got things wrong, does it bother you? Does it upset you at some level that you can't even live for Jesus, this one who saved you? If you've begun to understand grace, it should do. But if you have the moments of of feeling just how how wretched you are and things you do wrong, the, the moment that you start to think, oh, I've done it again, I'm just such a worthless fool, grace says you can't think that. You are unworthy, but you can't ever think you're worthless. When he loves you, when he's loved you like this, he set you free, live for him. And it might be, you're not a Christian here tonight, and you might have thought, look, I, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'm good enough to be a Christian. Maybe you've thought about it in those kind of terms. I, I've seen some Christian friends And they seem a bit better than me. I'm not sure I'm good enough to be a Christian. Tell you what Jude would say. He would say, look, you're you're not good enough. You're not good enough to be a Christian, but Jesus is gracious enough to forgive and change you. You can come to him. That grace is something worth holding on to. That's why Jude would say this is a fight you can't walk away from because it's our only hope. Uh, There will always be people who want to distort grace. There will be people who who claim to be Christians but won't submit to Jesus as Lord. Uh, Jude says, fight. We need to contend for the faith. How do you throw the first punch? Uh, Well, here's, let me give you a suggestion. We'll take... A fighting lesson from Jude. Do you see how he starts? Uh, Right at the beginning of his his letter, uh, he puts it like this. Second part of verse one. Just have a look at it with me. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Do you notice the way he speaks about Christians, speaks about you and God's grace for you? Past, present, and future, he says, look, called by God in the past, loved in God in the present, kept for Jesus Christ for the future. Do you want to fight for the faith? 
Look, here's a way to start. This week, go out of your way to encourage someone about God's grace. With your Christian friends, whether they've told you or not, you know, because it's true for you, that they will be struggling and battling with some temptation at some level. Remind them of Jesus' grace for them. That he will help them and he is worth it. We can be half-hearted, flabby Christians. I know I can. We need to make strong choices. I wimp out many times. Jude says you need to toughen up. And we need to join together in fighting for the faith. And if you're going to fight, this is where it starts. Encouraging one another with the grace of the Lord Jesus. Let's pause there. And the musicians are going to come back up to the front. But let's have a moment ourselves just to pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, your, your goodness and your grace, it should be clear to us. In one sense, we shouldn't need someone else to tell us about it or to repeatedly tell us about it. But thank you, we've got letters like this in the New Testament and that speak to us about your goodness and your grace. Please help us to listen well. And would you cause our hearts to be warmed by your love for us, for all you've done for us. And please help us not to move away uh, from your precious grace and the good news of the gospel. Uh, Where we need to fight to hold on to it, please help us to do that. And where we need to fight to share it with others, uh, please help us to do that. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, Living for Jesus is never just an individual activity. We do it as a church family, uh, as a church together. And our closing hymn uh, speaks about that. It says, oh, church, arise. So as the music begins, let's stand and sing together.